Hello. Hmm. Yeah, so as you're coming in, I want you to know there is something different in this room. And it it's is. It's not you. Yeah. It's us. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, you know, normally uh, we don't film in here. And also I want you to know that you don't have to worry about being on camera unless you jump on stage with us. So uh, we're, we're filming this for some other churches that are uh, just around across the country. Kind of a, a fun, um, exciting, and also crazy thing is that Reengage right now is in around 150 churches across the country, uh, which is really just a neat deal and just seeing how God's working. Um, and this would also be the time to turn your phones to the silent mode so you don't get that important phone call during the middle of the film. Thank you. No. <laughs> um, okay, I'm sorry. I digress. Um, I'm going to turn my phone to silent too. That's a great idea, babe. Thanks, honey. You're welcome. All right. Okay. Hey, my name is Ryan Nixon, and this is my beautiful bride, Callie. And I have the privilege of serving on staff with our re-engaged team here at Watermark Community Church. And, but even more so, I have a greater privilege of being on Team Nixon Party of Five. We got married in 2006, and we have three kids, two girls, uh, Davey and Evie Lee, and then a little boy, uh, little Ryan. And tonight, uh, we're going to get to share with you on the topic of forgiveness, and this can be one of the more difficult lessons couples work through as they go through re-engage. Something that we've noticed in our own marriage as well as others, that people can get hung up on this topic in one of two areas. You either have the victim who may have a really difficult time getting to a place where they can forgive their spouse or they feel like the other person doesn't deserve their forgiveness. And then you have the offender who struggles to actually practice biblical confession and actually asking for forgiveness. So to kind of help illustrate tonight's topic of confession and forgiveness, it is our joy to share a little bit of our crazy story with you all. So as I look back on my life, um, I spent a good portion of it being extremely prideful and worshiping what other people thought of me. This led me to manage my own reputation, hiding my sins and destructive uh, secret habits, and then also highlighting my strengths. Looking good on the outside and knowing that I was living this kind of uh, double life in many different ways. David talks about this in Psalm 32. He says, For when I kept silent about my sins, my bones wasted away through my groanings all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. This verse describes a good portion of my life as I battled with the sins of lust, pornography, and masturbation for so many years, which totally robbed me of the abundant life um, and also marriage that God had intended for me. So I trusted Christ when I was 11 years old, and a few years later, I was introduced to pornography through some friends and quickly became addicted to the sin of lust and masturbation. This was a sin struggle that I was consumed with throughout high school and into college. But I started to experience some, some victory in college, and that was because I uh, jumped into a small group of accountability with some guys. And this was the first time that I had seen others openly share about their struggles with sin, and especially in this area of lust and pornography. It was so freeing to realize that I wasn't alone in this struggle. And even though this was better um, than years of not sharing anything at all, our, our accountability um, and confession was really vague in, in what we shared. I found myself 
only sharing as much as I needed to to feel good about confessing. And I'd usually use phrases like, hey, I've been really struggling lately, or I messed up this past week, which who, I, who knows what that really meant. Um, this pattern of giving into temptation and giving half-hearted confessions continued after college and into my marriage, which brought a lot of shame and guilt for me, um, as well as a lot of pain for my wife. And all of those half-hearted confessions were really me uh, just lying um, and being deceptive towards others. And this deception was completely out of a worship of myself and a fear of what other people might think of me. Um, Ryan first confided in me about his past and present struggles with lust and pornography about two weeks before we were married. And um, my reaction, I honestly considered sending him packing. Um, this is something that really pains my heart now. Here was a man coming openly to confess his sin, and I responded in complete fear and with no grace and quite a bit of self-righteousness too, um, especially because I myself had spent over 10 years um, in bondage to my own sin struggles of lust, and um, I had only recently experienced freedom through complete confession. So how hypocritical of me, how hungrily I received God's grace and forgiveness in my own life, and yet I couldn't turn around and extend it to him. So not the best way to start building a home that would be a safe place for failure. But as Ryan said, much more than the actual sin of pornography, it was the half-truths and lies that broke my heart and the distrust that that created. It would sometimes take hours or honestly even several days just to get the full story. And so I felt alone and I had to fight that urge to just control to make his sin my responsibility and to find ways to make sure that this would never happen again. And I thought, well, if no one else will fight for his righteousness, then I sure will. I thought I had to do it all on my own. And I also had to fight the desire to completely take over anything that might lead him to a poor decision. And it took time for me to learn that that way of thinking would only bring more pain and hurt into our marriage. I am not God, and I needed to stop trying to be. There were other ramifications to me personally, kind of blows to my self-confidence. I can tend to be a confident person, but I've always struggled with my weight and body image. And so I had thoughts to myself of, man, I know that if I were just skinnier or prettier, he would never have a need to look elsewhere. And that's not truth. And it was a challenge for me to take my thoughts captive and focus on the discipline of forgiveness with my husband. So four years into our marriage... Uh, I was finally worn out, heavy with the weight of my sin and, and deception was, was on me. And I finally came clean, and I confessed fully to my wife and to the couples in our small group about what had really been happening over the past few years. And then I humbly asked for their forgiveness, not just for the poor choices that I'd made with pornography, uh, but for my lying and my deception in the midst of their accountability and care. And guys, they, they met me with grace, compassion, forgiveness, and they also loved me with truth and needed next steps. Next steps for me looked like boundaries to help me fight and recovery to get the heart of my sin struggle. My boundaries included major restraints on internet access for me and communicating everything to my new boss and the ID department at my new place of work, which was here at Watermark. And then also completely getting rid of my smartphone. Guys, they still have phones like this. They exist. 
And, and I, I remember that first time trying to text my accountability guys. It took me like 15 minutes since I didn't have a full keyboard kind of, hey, guys, I did it. Um, so they're still out there. Um, and recovery for me came through a Christ-centered uh, program here at church. And through my time in recovery, I was able to more fully understand God's grace my identity in Christ and my inability to find victory apart from the help of God's word, God's spirit, and God's people. And since that time, I've continued to experience more and more freedom from the temptations of lust and pornography. And by God's grace, this is no longer an addiction that defines me, but a temptation that I struggle with and fight well against. I want to say amen after that. Yes. <laughs> um, once we both realized that the goal was not perfection, the goal was not never stumbling again, but the goal was intimacy and oneness, things really began to change in our marriage. Um, this practice of biblical confession and forgiveness has benefited our whole family, perhaps myself the most. And the reality is I could not be more proud of the man that I sit by. He pursues righteousness like very few men that I know, and I'm thankful to get to love him. I watch him daily live out the verse Hebrews 4.16 that says, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And then the way this man handles my sin when I come to him in confession has taught me so much about God's grace and how he really sees me. I had read about God's grace all my life, and I thought I knew about it. But there in those moments with his arms around me whispering to me, I forgive you, I literally felt the arms of Christ enveloping me in a way that I had never seen before, almost as if looking into a mirror and showing me. Ryan had the opportunity to show me God's love and forgiveness when I could not see it on my own, and it was an incredible privilege. So you guys, over the next few minutes... We want to share with you some of the things that we've learned about confession and forgiveness over the years. And the Reengage curriculum does a great job in giving you the why behind forgiveness, which is lesson five, and also practical steps for confessing our sin, asking for, and extending forgiveness, which is lesson six. And we're going to be talking through the steps in lesson six and just spend a little bit more time in the areas that can be roadblocks for couples moving through this process well. And some of you may think that is a horrible idea, and we get it. Why on earth would they ask us to take something I did that was awful, whether it be last week or last year or 10 years ago, and dig it back up again? Let's just leave that as water under the bridge. And it's an honest question to ask. Why should we confess our sins? So we want to give you three whys to consider when thinking about confession. So the first one is just that sin separates us from God and others. Relationships are always the first casualty of sin, both with God and also with others. And then number two, unconfessed sin keeps us in bondage to it. Like when we don't confess sin, it keeps us enslaved to those choices through guilt and shame. And thirdly, confession is just the first step towards intimacy and freedom. True intimacy can only be experienced when we're fully known, fully accepted, and fully loved, even in spite of our failures. Proverbs 28, 13 illustrates that beautifully. It says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he could, who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. And again, guys, your struggle might not be with, with lust or pornography or pride or self-protection, but it's something. And so as we talk through these steps, just want you to take a few seconds, just think about, okay, what is that area in my life that I'm not experiencing the fullness of what God wants for me, both in my relationship with him 
as my creator and also in my relationship with my spouse. And you can kind of insert your sin struggle um, in there as we walk through these things. And so that leads us to step number one, which is taking a personal inventory. So what you want to do is you want to take an inventory of the ways that you've hurt, disappointed, or broken trust with your spouse. And Psalm 139, 23 through 24 is a great psalm to pray as you're beginning to, to work through your inventory. And it just says, search me, O God, and see if there's any sinful way within me. Step two is just confess it to God. Ask for his forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9 assures us that if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We know that nothing's hidden from him and he loves us still. I know that I'm so blessed. We teach a lot in our house about confession with my kids, that when they come to me and confess their sins, and it's good for me to remember our God is the same way. Step three is to then, the harder part, confess to your spouse. Ryan's going to talk a little bit more about this, but I think it's also important to insert here that we need to confess to a trusted believer, someone who's in our corner who can know the specific ways mm -hmm. you've wronged your spouse so that they can help you grow in oneness with Jesus and in marriage. This might be someone in your small group or even your re-engage leader. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And honestly, y'all, this is still a really hard thing for us. We get to practice it often. And however, we know from experience that if we're obedient to what God's asked, he usually shows up in amazing ways. And then so many times where I feel like not being obedient, I think about Matthew 6, 21, that says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It says there your heart will be also, not there your heart is also. And I love that because so many times if I place my treasure in God's truth, mm -hmm. then my heart always finds a way to come back around, even if it's not there right in the moment of obedience. Yeah. That's so good. And so Thanks, as you begin, Dave. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Affirm your spouse yes. in public. <laughs> so as you begin to... Uh, as you begin to practice step three, confessing to your spouse, I want to paint a picture of what this should look like, um, because this is not something that comes naturally to us. It is a learned skill, and I did this wrong for so many years and in so many different ways, and it hindered me from experiencing the freedom from my own sin struggles and also experiencing oneness with God and oneness with my bride. And so the first one is just to, to confess quickly. Like, we want to keep short accounts. Don't allow sin to linger in the dark. One of the things we talk about now is we want to have a 24-hour rule with each other, that if, if we've wronged each other in a certain way, that we want to come towards each other and confess those things in 24 hours. The second one is that you, in confession, you want to do it humbly. And humility and confession um, looks like you really understanding the pain that your decision um, has caused towards your spouse. And so sometimes it's hard to really know, like, how has what I've done hurt the one that I love? And so a great question to ask your spouse in confession and really before you move towards forgiveness um, is just, hey, can you help me understand how this made you feel? Can you help me understand how this hurt you? So you can just kind of feel the weight of that um, as well. And then you want to confess authentically. And so, and that means just being fully honest, being fully open in your confession, not hedging or managing information, but being willing to share everything. And in one of the ways that, that we can be helped and being authentic in our confession um, is fighting the urge to be vague and be specific. So that fourth one is, is confessing specifically. 
And so being specific, you know, keeps us from hiding in the midst of our confession. Like, again, I shared for so many years, like, hey, I've really been struggling this past week. And that could mean a number of different things. And so a better way is to specifically confess what you did. You know, and, and for me, in, in my sin struggles, is saying, hey, earlier this week on Monday night, I did a Google image search and saw inappropriate pictures of women. And so and we want to be willing to share as much as the victim or the offended party or maybe even our accountability group wants to know. Um, but we don't want to share in graphic details that might cause someone else to stumble. Yeah, there were times where I could get a little masochistic in this and I would want to know more details about his confession than were beneficial to me. And so the thing about graphic details is they put an image into our hearts that can really prevent healing from happening. And so when I asked, Ryan did a great job of responding, hey, I want to be open and willing to share that, but will you ask someone else first to see if that's beneficial for you to know? And uh, for me, it was the girls in my community group. For you all, it might be um, a re-engaged leader if you don't have trusted community, but nine out of 10 times, maybe 9.9 .9 out of 10 times, I was seeking the answer to something that I, I really didn't need to know the answer to. And so step four is ask for forgiveness. Don't just say I'm sorry, but specifically ask for forgiveness. And going back to that earlier example that I would look to her and say, honey, will you forgive me for looking at those inappropriate images on my computer Monday night? Or, or again, fill in the blank with whatever um, your sin struggle, the way you hurt your spouse. I think it's, it's truly so neat that when we ask someone for forgiveness, it forces us to come in humility and ask them if they'd be willing to release that debt that we owe them. So we're literally placing our heart and our imperfections in their hands. And, you know, maybe don't do this the first time that y'all don't get it right, but as we've moved to a better place in marriage and um, have a lot of practices with this, we have a response that inevitably comes out if you just say, I'm sorry. There's typically a very long pregnant pause, and the response is, yes, darling, you are sorry. And we just stop and wait there. <laughs> it's kind of a softball of being able to go, hey, you're not done yet. Keep going. <laughs> and that happened yesterday morning? It sure did. Yeah. My wife, <laughs> my wife on the floor in tears because of something I didn't say, and, and in that I hurt her. And I said, hey, I'm really sorry. I and mean, on the floor's a little dramatic, <laughs> you know. But you were. I mean, I, we're being, <laughs> there were, we were chatting, you know. Oh, I, I was, you, you I were. was. I, really was. I know, babe, it's a safe I place. I blocked that out. <laughs> Man. <laughs> so we, we still, we're still working through this and yes. trying to figure this out. Yes. <laughs> and hey, that leads us to number five. Number five. Which is granting forgiveness. Okay, and, and so we're kind of talking about, hey, what are the roles and responsibilities of the victim in this case? And we want you to know you have an active role. <laughs> you want to create a safe place. <laughs> and and uh, he did yesterday. So you want to truly, we know that this is hard. You want to listen to the confession in humility. And at the end, this is something that's been different for me. You want to thank them for sharing. It takes boldness mm -hmm. and courage to come and share all your junk on the floor with the person you love most. Yeah. So, And so and if you're the one confessing and, and you don't feel like, hey, I don't really know if this is a safe place yet to share, one, go and talk to your re-engaged leader. Talk to someone um, who's further along in their faith and, and just glean from them some wisdom and, and maybe even ask if they'd be willing to go with you to confess. 
but, yeah. but you still need to confess, even if you're like feeling like, I don't know if this is going to be received well. Yeah. Number two is to actually extend the grace and forgiveness. In the midst of that hurt, we remember that Christ's grace was extended to us. And um, even if you don't want to, we want to work towards extending that grace. Um, this may not be immediately, depending on the hurt, but we do have to remind ourselves that forgiveness is ultimately about a choice of obedience. It's not about a feeling. Um, this doesn't mean you can't talk through your hurt after you've extended forgiveness, but this does mean that we don't get to use this as a weapon at a later date. Like, we'll remember when. You know, that's something we've tried to take out of our vocabulary. And then the third thing is just remember that you're on the same team against this sin. There is an enemy, and the enemy is not your spouse. Y'all, 1 Peter 5.8 says that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And marriage is high, high, high up on his list. And so truly in this, we have an opportunity to be a part of God's plan for healing and restoration for our spouse. Now, there is a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation and then rebuilding trust. Trust does need to be earned, and the trust isn't rebuilt overnight. It's like a wall or a foundation. As we rebuild it, we have to do it slowly and purposefully. And our hope is that you'll begin to move towards a place where you're practicing confession, asking for forgiveness, and extending it uh, to your spouse in ways that lead towards a greater sense of oneness with Jesus and also in marriage. And we know that many of you are already doing that. But we want you to know that if there's some of you who are out here who are you know, still have things that are unconfessed or maybe haven't been fully confessed, um, whether it's from this past week or years ago, we want you to know that we want to encourage you to take that first step towards healing by walking in the light and confessing it. Like that is where healing personally and then also moving towards that greater sense of oneness and marriage begins. I mean, we want you to know that it's always easier to walk through this process when you confess your sins to your spouse rather than being caught in your sins. Um, and so, again, we encourage you to confess fully. But if you're in this room and, and you got caught in your sin, and you're saying, hey, I lost that opportunity to confess because he or she already knows what I did, we want you to know there is healing, there is restoration, there is hope for you no matter where you are on that spectrum. And, and be gracious towards each other. Like, like, this is something that you learn over time that we're still learning how to do. And so be gracious to each other as you walk through this process. Y'all, marriage is hard. It just is. It's hard. But I wouldn't trade one moment of our journey together, especially the rough parts, the ones that we've had or the ones that we have yet to have. And I know that Ryan and I want to be people not who are living perfectly, but who are living together serving a perfect God. Um, Proverbs 4.18 is one of my favorite verses, and it says, The path of the righteous is like the first light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full light of day. Y'all, you may not see it yet. You may feel like you're still straining to just see that sliver of light of hope in your marriage, but know that the sun is coming. Um, if you continue to walk in righteousness, then the sun will rise again on your marriage. We serve a God who makes dead things come alive again, always. That's his deal. So you can do this. We love you guys, and we are praying God's hope and healing and restoration over your lives. Thank you all for letting us share.